how does competition transfer from the military and the way you you breeded that in your organizations while you're in to outside and how does that look um, now that you are in kind of the private sector? I, no, the answer, I mean, the simple answer is no, nobody's competitive in education uh, at, like, like with each other. And it's, it's very different for me because I think within soft, we are competitive and that's what makes us really as, as good as what we are. Um, and I always just tell guys on my teams that, you know, you're only as good as you were today. So it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're on a range, uh, there's beer shoots, whether you're doing PT, you're always trying to one up somebody. Uh, because if everybody's trying to, um, yeah, it's one up each other, I guess. You're always trying to trying to push each other and, and do better. And it's it's not out of spite. It's not to, to try to show that you're better than everybody, but it's it's to try to show that I, I'm worthy. And every day I come to work, I can hang, and and that's important to us. So I, you know, no, in the in the uh, in the organization that I work in now, you know, it's people are more more focused on what they're doing, looking down rather than looking lateral, like we do in soft. No, I, I agree, and I mean. You know, being trying to bring some of that competitiveness uh, that was honed in, in you know, the, the military and the government to, to Australia and to civilian sectors is been massive because it does you have to you have to foster competitiveness within the organization. You have to you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. Right. And there's all these business paradigms that we can espouse and, you know, and and just kind of throw out there. But you have to just build competitiveness to within and make it healthy because it has a connotation that it's unhealthy. Um, and we're breeding that into our kids in across multiple industries. But it's absolutely healthy if you embrace it the right way. And one of the things that Mike said that I love is you're only as good at what you did today. So quit resting on your laurels for what you did last week or two weeks ago or some successes that you had in a past life. And you can't, you know, just because you achieved an MBA 20 years ago and you haven't done anything since then doesn't mean that you can just rest there and, you know, keep telling, you know, MBA war stories. To capitalize on what, what Scott said with um, it's got to be healthy competition. A lot of people in the civilian sector are, are threatened by competition. Uh, you know, and and they they perceive somebody's excellence or somebody's drive and, and ambition as as trying to put them down, and and I think the type of uh, performance excellence that we're talking about is is not that at all. It's it's mutually supporting and it and it helps the organization do better. And I think that if you could do that, it, I mean, it doesn't matter what type of organization that you're in. Um, I, I think that everybody, if they would all. I kind of join into that that type. We're, we're not we're not competing to to beat each other outside of the military, or even or even on the teams. We're competing to kind of push ourselves to the next level. Yeah, I'd say that those who are the, those who are kind of intimidated by competition, honestly, have never experienced the healthy benefits of it. And again, as you said, it's kind of something that needs to be bred from the beginning in in homes. Kids need to start experiencing it, whether it be in sports or in some, you know, facet in school in a community. They need to see competition. They need to fail. They need to be beat, and then kind of see how that makes you. That can make you go introspective, and then start competing with yourself as well. I mean, that's that's a huge thing for me right now, since I'm I'm an entrepreneur. I'm working by myself, but the competition in the past has enabled me to push myself and like compete with what I was doing yesterday and the day before and kind of, you know. Yeah. I know that uh, I've experienced several different organizations since I've gotten out. And uh, what I found is that it's typically based on the culture of the organization. If there's a competitive 
um, spirit, I guess you'd call it, that's within an organization. You're going to find a lot of people that are very competitive. Some have competitive edge, and some just really don't get into that kind of stuff. But I mm-hmm. found that when you do find those that have the competitive edge, it can be very much a dog-eat-dog kind of society or world. And on occasion, I think those of us who are probably uh, wanting to remain you know, sharp and everything else at times can be uh, perceived as being arrogant. And it might be more uh, confidence, uh, but that perception will start playing over perhaps in a very negative sense. And so it can create challenges for you, I think, at times as well. But, you know, it shouldn't stop you from going out there and, and still trying to keep that competitive winning edge. I think, I think a lot of organizations kind of mistake competitiveness for politics and, and backstabbing. And they think they're being competitive by trying to rise and, you know, where well, I'm going to do this no matter the cost and whatever. And, and that's absolutely not the type of competitiveness that I embrace. I mean, you know, that's, that's just unhealthy at every level when you don't know, you know, who your allies are. There are no, you know, kind of um, there's no team mentality. But if you if you're in that type of organization, I really feel for you because that's that's horrific. Like something that is really healthy about competition and organization is it it gives everyone in like an equal voice towards opportunity. You know, everyone has a standard and how well they achieve it is kind of how, you know, you rack and stack and you're you're rewarded accordingly to performance. And even if like, so the guy that's an amazing talker, but his skills aren't that great, like it kind of merges. Yeah. Talking to be a part possibly, or some kind of communication, but also you got to go hands on and do this task. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a level playing field, especially with the, the PJ competitions that I've experienced. One of the things that I wrote down was a comment that if you don't push your ceiling, you'll never know, uh, anything other than just your floor height. You know, I've seen people that talk about various people. They go, okay, well, we know where his floor is at, but we don't know quite how how much he can go beyond where he is right now. You know, when you're doing assessments of your staff or, or those types of things. So it's interesting that if you're an individual and you talked about looking introspectively, if you're not challenging yourself each time to raise that ceiling, and we've talked about this on other po- uh, podcast uh, episodes you may not know what your ceiling is if you're not really pushing yourself over and over again because where you think your ceiling might be might be very low compared to where it really could be if you push yourself harder. So at that case, you really just know where your floor is, but you don't really know where your ceiling is. I would pick Mike's brain on this one with the high school students he's teaching and the football players. I mean, that's that's two dynamic environments that you can see, you know, kind of a, a perception of where their skills, abilities, and ceilings are versus where Mike sees them from his experiences. So I think that'd be fascinating. From the football perspective or just students in general, Scott? Oh, academic as well as athletic. I think you got both I, sides. I think what's interesting is to see kids um, – perform very well athletically when it's something they're very they're into and, and com- compete at a, a very high level both with each other and then with with an opponent on the other side of the field uh, and then to observe them in the classroom when it's not the same type of environment and they're they're completely complacent and and want to be led kind of uh, uh, by the seat of their pants to, to show them what the answer is uh, these kids will figure out things on the football field how to get by an opponent uh, how, how to how, how to defend against an opponent, uh, somebody who's bigger than them, how they can use speed to their advantage, um, how, how, how we execute specific plays against specific types of defenses uh, to our advantage as a team and, and to do that competitively together. Uh, the same the same kids, you put them in an academic environment and it's a different 
cognitive ability. Uh, and I, I, some of it, some of it just comes from maturity, right? I mean, that's they, they like football and they like to play that or they like wrestling or something else. Uh, and, and they don't like maybe the topic that they're learning. So they grow into that as they, as they become more and more adults. But there's, there's something in society too, that a lot of these younger kids, uh, we have told them the answers for so long that they kind of expect to be, to be guided through, through something, but we don't guide them through things in football. You know, we drill, we drill our, our plays just like we would teach CQB, Scott. You know, we, we, we lay the basics and we do it over and over and over again. And then we put variables into it that, that challenge them. And that's how you get better. You try to do that in a classroom. And a lot of times they could look up it and say, what page is this on? Yeah. You know, or, or I, I don't understand what you want. And well, it's the same, right? it's the same kid. The kids are capable of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and it comes a little bit from, from maturity, cognitive ability and, and some motivation, uh, which, which I don't know, maybe, maybe there's an aspect of to competitiveness in the classroom that I haven't explored that maybe I should. Um, I mean, it wasn't too long ago when I was in the, the high school, okay. Like eight years ago, I was in the high school scene. Um, and I, I definitely think a thing I was tricking myself with was believing that, you know, things weren't a competition. But as I've gone on into the military and realizing, you know, everything's a competition at some level. You know, you don't have to just treat everything like, you know, you're trying to one-up people, especially in conversation. It gets really old if you're just, you know, a one-upper with stories and stuff like that. But just coming to a realization that the environments that you're in are competitive in nature and being able to, like, define that and discern that um, is huge. And, you know, you can't kid yourself to the fact that you're not in competition. You know, it's interesting that you talked about how the the student athlete looks at the football field versus the classroom, Mike, because, you know, you think about um, those individuals who like to compete at the highest level in many cases or um, enjoy the competition on the football field and try to get better by using that to their advantage, you know, to try to make better improvements, whether it's in the weight room or whatever the case may be by watching film. But yet when it does come to the classroom, and like you said, it's it might be a maturity level where they're, they don't find that it's something that's their passion, that they really enjoy doing. It's the monotony or the things that just um, doesn't excite them. And you think about that, too, as it relates to the private sector, that if somebody doesn't find their purpose and passion and doesn't really do something that excites them every morning to hit that alarm and snooze button to get out of the bed, they're going to run into the same thing because they're not challenging themselves first you know, when they get up in the morning and make the bed, because the most important thing is to make your bed. And then secondly, is to get out there and find people that they feel like are their peers and understand who their peer group is and challenge those people as well as their self to raise the bar to the next level. But you have to surround yourself with people that compliment you because one of the underlying themes without going negative on the talk is fear and insecurity almost belay competitiveness, right? I mean, so we, we don't want to even, oh, I, I'm not going to, you know, like Mike's kids in the classrooms, right? If they're, if they're insecure in the classroom and they're secure on the football field, they just act like, you know, uh, well, I don't, I don't have to care too much in here. I'm just going to check out. I'm not even going to try. So if we surround ourselves by pe- surround ourselves with people that allow our fears and insecurities to be highlighted, then we almost by default drop our competitive level to a level that we're, we don't want to compete. But when we surround ourselves, I mean, good Lord, you look at a, an, an ODA, an A team in SF, you surround yourself with people who are as competitive, if not more competitive than you are in a healthy way and who motivate you and who know your strengths and know your weaknesses and are doing everything that they can to, to empower your strengths and educate your weaknesses on a, on a minute by minute basis, you're going to thrive. And when you digest that and you start to live like that, 
that becomes how you want to live everywhere else. And that's, you know, we talk transition all the time. So then we take that type of mentality and we plug ourselves into an environment to where fear and insecurity abound. And now we're the, you know, we're the pariah, we're the outside element trying to look like and we're deemed as uber competitive or hyper competitive when that's not really the case at all. Actually, one of the things that I wrote down was uh, when competition is weak, people become satisfied with that and they, they don't compete nearly as hard. So, you know, like you said, it's who you surround yourself with. And again, we, we talked about this on another episode that you got to find five people that you can surround yourself with that um, really take you to that next level. You know, if you can find a team of individuals that are very much like minded that you can reach out to, that you can communicate with and um, bounce ideas and uh, challenge one another on a daily basis and hold each other accountable, then you're going to be all that much more better. Uh, because they're gonna they're gonna challenge you every day to try to raise that ceiling that we're talking about and become better. Whether again it's through education and learning, whether it's finding new ways of doing what you're currently doing, and and again we could go back to the football thing. As a coach, you know one of the things you can do is this year you might teach certain techniques, but what you may want to do is reach out and call another coach from another school that you see that is doing really well, or if you know a player that's gotten to the college level. You know, as a high school coach, you can call him up and say, hey, what what is Coach Smith teaching you up there that I didn't teach you? What are some of the techniques that he's providing you um, that I can pass on and mentor and coach to the team that's here? And uh, because you learn also from the people that you raised up that go on and pass on to other areas within either the military uh, to go on and better themselves. They get you get move on out of the military, um, those types of things. And what I found is that some of my best mentors um, were actually people that I mentored at one time frame that have now turned around helping mentor me in the same way. That's a great point. Yeah, Mike, I, I'm just thinking like, I, I hope those uh, high school students are going to listen to this podcast because, you know, competition it, at that level is seen more acutely. Um, but I know, like I look back at the, the people I was in, in class with and stuff and those who actually like applied themselves academically, they are the ones who, you know, have the prize now. You know, they're, they're well-employed, they're self-sufficient, they've learned a lot in life um, just because of the platform that they had leaving high school. And it's kind of, yeah, you don't, you don't see that prize, and it is something that mentors and people who kind of have been there needs to start instilling in that younger generation of, hey, this is, this, I mean, you got to be self-sufficient, you got to become a man now. One of the things that we can talk about as well is that when you're a leader and you're actually trying to evaluate your team and, and your staff, whether, again, whether you're in the military, in the private sector or whatever, it's important to try to recognize those individuals that are always trying to excel. Um, and some people do that in different ways. I mean, you have introverts, you have extroverts, and you've got to be very mindful of how your team functions and the individual um, roles that each person plays. And at times you might find that some of those people who are introverts may not outwardly show it in ways that the extroverts do, but they very much want to be competitive and raise their ceiling, uh, but that you have to challenge them or find them, seek that person out in different ways and recognize them in different ways as well. So it's about understanding the, the dynamics of different people and how they relate to that competitive excellence. Mm -hmm. Many leaders fail to realize it's not a templated exercise that you can't hold everybody by the same kind of checklist that you, you hold, you know, some other people by. 
you have to individualize the the assessments and you have to empower everybody's competitiveness to their level. And and that's why a lot of leaders kind of fail because they want to make it a checklist, you know, hey, we're going to get together as a team and, and we're all going to be competitive. Yay, team, go, you know, high five, break. And, and then they wonder six months later why it's not an effective strategy because it's individual. Competitiveness mm-hmm. resides within each of us. And then you enable that individual competitiveness at an organizational level. That's when you start to thrive. You know, and when you're talking about a young leader, too, you may not recognize that within each individual and the importance of um, having to recognize that. What will help them raise the bar? Because what I found in leadership is that in many cases, individuals may not have the passion um, in the current occupation that they're in. And so if I can help them raise the bar and raise their ceiling by putting them in or plugging them into a different mentor, putting them in a different department, helping them find the skill sets that they're looking for to go in a different direction as far as an occupation. As a leader, that's what I'm supposed to do. And it may mean that it doesn't benefit me personally, uh, but it's to help benefit that individual. And that's to me what a good leader does. No, Amen. Yeah. And, and uh, something I just pulled out of what you were just saying, Robert, is that competition is able to kind of, see where people are at, especially if you're new and then tailor, you know, any instruction they might need or a position. Hey, like that person competed well in this area. So let's put them there. But it also kind of exposes places in the actual mission. Once you're there kind of doing the work, um, that could be a problem before you get to the mission. So it's in, in a controlled environment that you found out where the problem might be and you fixed it before, you know, it was go time and it could be a catastrophic thing. Some of the things that I, I try to tell kids is, is, is we've got a few athletes that are really good at one position. So there's really, really two things. One, it's, it's really good at one position and they, and they feel they want to be the best at that position, which is great, but you may not be competitive at a D one school at that position. If you don't, if you don't grow into what that, that program can use to make a, a D one linebacker running back defensive end, something like that. Uh, so you got to be versatile. And you got to be a football player first, and and you've got to you got to and that's part of being competitive, right? You've got to learn different positions that makes you a better athlete. As a as a good athlete, you can go into a program and play a lot of things. Uh, and then the second thing is look at the classroom. Uh, if you look at your your top performing D one and D schools in the country, uh, they've got a collective GPA that is as higher than your poor poor performing schools. And and generally, uh, most of your D1 schools set a GPA at anywhere between 2.7 and 3, which is pretty high in college. Uh, but if you if you look at a guy like Saban, uh, who has one of the best recruiting records, must be an Alabama fan there. Oh, yeah. Um, but if you look at a guy like Saban, who, who has one of the best recruiting records uh, for taking guys, and it's, it's a data-driven system, right, uh, that, that you've got a guy who's the right size, who has the right temperament, who has the right attitude, who has the right work ethic, and he has it going on in a classroom and he doesn't have any disciplinary issues. All that goes into a rubric and, and you're, you're graded against thousands of other players in the country and it comes down to a number. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, if you're one of those guys, you know, and this, this number ranges, really, if you're competitive to play college ball from four to six, um, if you're a guy who's a four, you're not going to play for Saban, man. He's not going to pick you up, and you're a good football player. Uh, but if you if you if you're a five, if you're pushing a six, uh, and, and it's all those things, it's it's a well-rounded thing, and and being a, a good student is one of them uh, because you know football today is an intelligence sport. It's not it's not what it was when I was a kid. All you had to do is beat the guy in front of you. 
uh, you've got to you've got to learn and know a lot of things to be competitive and be successful in football at, at you know at good D two programs and, and at any D one school anyway. So high school athletes, you know, that's a that's a learning process for them as they're coming in and they they've got it. Um, I'm more than just you know a, a quarterback. Let's take that and spin that though towards those individuals that will be listening to the podcast that might be interested in attending, um, you know, soft school or joining the soft community. Because I mean, it, it applies exactly the same, right? It's universal. What Mike just said is absolutely universal, and that's what I was about to jump off my chair and go, yes, because it's it's corporate international as well. You know, there are no, it's not punching widgets and factory work for the most part. I know there are still people out there doing that, but in today's post-university world, it's knowledge work, and you have to be well-rounded, and you have to fit in, and it's not just can you come in and do social media, or can you come in and do marketing, or are you the new manager and leader with an MBA, or are you XYZ, whatever. You have to be that well rounded person or else you don't fit in and you have to fit into that rubric like Mike said this organizationally in in this many facets culture and everything else throughout that so it, it absolutely is relevant not only in the soft world but business world as well mic drop <laughs> but I mean you know look at Look at, I mean, look at the Q course, Mike, right? I mean, if, if you're going to get through the Q course, you can't just be a PT stud because, you no. know, if you don't have it, – you can't just be an academic. You, you have to be a good mixture of both, you know, that, that warrior scholar type deal. PJs, you know, same type of yep. stuff. I mean, you know, unless we're talking SEALs, that's the only time you can be stronger, you know, and, and get through the whole training. <laughs> that's just wrong. Uh, but true. Maybe wrong. But true. But true. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. I was hoping for a backup there. <laughs> well, what do you expect from the USF guys? So, no, I, I think I think it's the same when you get to a team too. Why do we cross train? You know, why do we, why do we diversify skill sets across the team? Why do we send you know only a couple guys to Sodic and a couple of guys to Sephardic? Uh, because those guys make the team stronger. Uh, but you've got to be uh, available, willing, able, and qualified, and and one of those skills that you can go out and and then execute it very very well at a high level. Um, and, and I. I I, I agree. I mean, looking at it from what I'm what I'm talking to athletes about, when I'm looking at young football teams, I think I think it's it's very much the same thing. That my objective is is to get them to understand that you know you can we can, if I can put you anywhere on the football field, then you are going to play in every game. And, and and I've got a couple of kids that that came on this year and haven't played since they were very very young, and it, it's not any. I mean, it's a five A football program, so I mean, it's a, it's a big program, and it, it's it's it costs a little bit to get going into this program. And parents were worried about kids not playing. I'm like, well, if they want to play football uh, and they're willing to to learn the positions we need them to play, and then they're going to play. And I've got kids that haven't played football in years and came out of here saying, you know, we said we're we're going to start you at tight end, and then mm-hmm. you know they become a defensive end, and then ultimately by the end of the season, you're a free safety making making good interceptions because you're an athlete first, right, and then a position player second. So you, if you're willing to do what the organization needs. Uh, then we can teach you the skills to do that. And now that translates so well to the private sector as well, because the one thing that I used to hate is to have to be in a, spe- a specific role that becomes very regimented or uh, routine on a daily basis. It drove me absolutely insane. And so one of the things I think that the military does for us as you begin going through your career is it even it doesn't even matter if you stay within the same MOS. You you frequently move, you frequently get doing assignments as you move up in rank, you may go to a three shop, you may end up going to a you know or or some other um uh, type of role in a command uh, position or something of that nature that that gives you a 
a different perspective, puts different skill sets on you and the whole thing. But when I see as I'm working through as a consultant, especially within an organization where people actually enjoy doing very specific things, as a matter of fact, it looks very much like one person does one thing, they pass it on to another person who does one thing, who passes it on to another person who does one thing, and Mm -hmm. everybody is quite satisfied with it. So when someone comes in like me and says, it's time to move your cheese, I'm going to end up moving you to something different. Um, then they get really upset because, of course, it's sort of like the uh, the movie in Ants where the leaf falls and they don't know where to go. They get lost. So if you're an individual that starts focusing on what's best for the organization, what's best for the team, as opposed to what's good for you, you're going to have a longer life within that organization than you would if you were the person that likes the very regimented, this is my cubicle, I do these steps and I pass it on to Mike. I think you should go and explain that using that same analogy to every kid who ever gets levied to Swick. That's what I think because <laughs> because I mean there, there's so much uh, there's so much to say about that. I I, I mean everybody want, goes to the Q course and they want to be on a team and they want to stay on a team forever, and and there are some really good team guys who do that. Uh, but you know I had the opportunity uh, against my will to do three years out at Camp McCall and teach at Small Unit Tactics. And then I was a branch guy for a year and a half working in a big army organization. It really, really opened my eyes to how, the way the army works and taught me how much better I had it uh, in group than everybody else in the, in the rest of the military. And then uh, working in a Pentagon and working in a major command in Lebanon, I, I, I think that you, by the time you get to levels where you can really contribute to, to organizational you know, success, man, you've got to have a lot of perspective that you bring to mm-hmm. the team. And, mm-hmm. and guys, guys, young guys, particularly, man, I get it. I was the same way. Uh, they, they don't understand how much more competent they are when they come back as team sergeants and company sergeant majors or even company commanders and battalion commanders. Once they've worked in, in big army or joint organizations to see how things like the CONOP process works and, and, and things like that. And I'm sure it's the same in a civilian organization. You've just got to get outside of what you're comfortable doing. Uh, to, to gain that experience it's, and bring it back. It's breadth and depth of knowledge. The more that you can experience to gain breadth and depth within uh, organizations, skills types, and everything else, you become the most valuable player on the team. And so when you relate that back to even football, if you're the athlete and that's your title, that means you have the capability to play within multiple roles. And like you said, you're going to see playing time. If you are the individual that understands the breadth and depth of an organization, you're going to be the MVP of that organization as well because you're the go-to person that the organization is going to come to whenever things are uh, failing or they need recommendations or whatever the case may be. That's that's the role that you really want to play. But to do that, then it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, how you've got to remain competitive, constantly learning, constantly trying to look introspectively at yourself of how you can make improvements and trying to raise those around you to, to help you keep reaching a higher ceiling. Yeah, and it seems, it seems like one of the big things that I'm – I'm also getting from you guys talking because, I mean, I'm listening to a lot of wisdom right now. I want to be sponging. But um, it's it's basically like the person who is not well-rounded, you know, is just kind of focusing in that one area, doesn't understand the need for competition. It just, they, it just doesn't make sense to them because they don't have the perspective that applies to the benefit of it. Maturity. Well, they have it. It's just misplaced. 
is it's misplaced competition. It's misplaced competition on a micro level, and and normally that's competition one on one on one, right? It's competition against my peer. I'm battling for this position on the team or this position on the organization to get to here. I want to raise. I want you know a, a better position or whatever. And, and like Mike said, until you get that macro level view of what different stuff and you feel the pain of the micro level view guys underneath you doing stuff, it's, it's hard to fathom the whole bigger picture. And that's why, you know, when you when you truly go back to what I just said of understanding your operational environment, whether that operational environment is the football team and you know the necessity to be an athlete and be a, a well-rounded player on that team to get more chances to go play D1 football, or whether that's understanding your operational environment and an ODA or at a corporation, you have to understand the left and right limits that you have and be competitive healthily within those left and right limits so that you can start to thrive and, and achieve the goals that, that you set out personally and organizationally. Me, me, me. That's what you end up getting when you're very young and you're immature and, and don't understand either um, you know the the big corporate world out there and the and the way things operate and and how your role is going to fit in or whether you're in a military organization very much um, is the same I mean when you're very young again Brian to your point you don't always see the big picture you're always looking out for yourself what can I do what do I need to do but sometimes what you need to do is just step back and realize the most important thing you can do at this point is be that sponge and try to learn as much as you can and volunteer for as many opportunities within an organization project management is a great way or projects where you get on several different projects and get exposed to the different initiatives that are going on within an organization to try to fix things that are broke or try to improve things um, or step up and start asking questions of other people within the military on a specific team how do you do that hey teach me how to do this and those types of things before that uh, before too long your knowledge starts allowing you that breadth and depth that we talked about and your maturity starts to come into play because you begin to understand through that that awareness and stuff those things that are around you and you go from being kind of ignorant of what you thought and perceived other people and yourself to now that that more mature role and how you can now see things for the organization and that's what plays more important as opposed to the me 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 yeah and it seems like competition even though you know, it's it's easier to get caught up on the micro results of it. You really just got to believe that, you know, it's pushing you into the person that you didn't know you could become. And that's that's the power of continuing to put yourself in it because you're like, well, it got me to this place, whether it be you, you lost big or you won big. So I'm going to continue to get in that environment, compete, and then become who I want to be, but I'm not quite sure what that looks like yet. But I know competition can get me there. Well, you just said it, Brian, and this is, you know, apologies for the proud parent moment, you know, but this is a difference, right? When you couple competitiveness with goals and achievable goals and you outline where you want to be and then you tie that bow with a work ethic, right? Like my, my youngest son is 10 and he's a hell of a soccer player. Like he's the leading scorer in all his teams or whatever. When he was eight, he came to me and he said, hey, dad, how do I score more goals? And so I said, look, go down to the field with me every night and shoot 100 shots on goal. I'll be the goalie and we'll just do this. Every night for an entire summer, we did that. And so all of his teammates, he came back the next season, and he was just blowing the goals up, killing it. And so all of his teammates said, 
well, hey, how does how's Dylan doing so good? How is he scoring so many goals? How is Dylan so good? I'm like, he works his butt off like daily. He gets out there and it's not all shooting, it's not all dribbling. He he studies the game, he watches stuff, he he has an absolute work ethic that he ties to his competitiveness. And he's 10. Like I'm I'm fully stating this about a 10-year-old, I realize that. But he goes out there for an hour and a half at night, and I'll just kick the soccer ball to him and he'll just trap it on his thigh, trap it, trap it, trap it over and over a thousand times. And Michael will tell you, building that muscle memory, his touch on the ball against his peers who want to play Xbox and stuff, he could care less about any of that stuff. His competitive drive coupled with his work ethic makes him the leading scorer on all his teams and makes him so much more competitive. Muscle memory, uh, yeah, brain that, muscle memory. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll take that one step further, Scott. And there are a couple of guys that I coach with who play pro football. And that's that's exactly what, what they say got them to the next level. Starting in high school, uh, they were the ones who were working at night, that were working on in the offseason, that were working after practice, that were asking for other tips. They were trying to, as sophomores in high school, trying to get a, a starting job on the varsity that, that did the same thing, you know, junior college or D1 football, and ultimately got them into the combine and got, got looked at and, and drafted into the NFL. Uh, and and it's, it's not that they were, yes, yeah, genetically you've got to be a, a bigger person to play NFL football, but you still have to have grades, work ethic, character, uh, you, you, you can't get in trouble and, and you've got that part of that character piece, man, is, is I'm going to outwork everybody else to be the best that I can be. And that's yeah. what just, I, I think, I think sets a, a lot of people apart, uh, when you're talking, you know, individual and organizational competitiveness. Somebody asked me that from the Green Beret Foundation a couple weeks ago when I was in the States. They said, you know, do you ever sleep? And I said, no, because if I'm forced to the problem set, I just work harder than anybody else I can to figure it out. You know, like I will literally try my best to outwork anybody else in history to get to my goal and do whatever. I, I don't know what to do when I don't have something to do. I don't know how my wife tells me I don't know how to relax. I don't know how I, to rest. If I'm, I know I, I said that when, when I when I left. My, my, I finished my master's program and I've been really, really busy taking on coaching and stuff this year. But when, when football season and I told Beth the same thing, I'm like, what do I do with my time? Yeah. You know, she's like, well, spend time with me. So, okay, that's what I'm doing. But, you know, <laughs> right answer. Initially, initially, I no, but I've been, I've been go, go, go for so long that, yeah. that what's, what's the next challenge? What do I, what do I have to do? I mean, so I, I set tasks and priorities and things like that, but it, I mean, it's part of it's the nature of salt and where we come from. And, and we've, we've challenged ourselves to be competitive with, with each other for so long that it's innate to be competitive with ourselves. And, and it's something about being intrinsically motivated now to, to just continue to, to try to, to – I mean, I'm not competing with anybody that I work with. I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to be better than I was today. You know, back, back to what I said initially, you're only as good as you were today. So I am trying tomorrow to be better than I was today, which should be pretty easy because I really suck today. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man, the only easy day was yesterday, right? That's right. <laughs> Self-motivation, though. I love it because it starts there's a, with that. There's an homage to my SEAL brothers. Like, this, yeah. I'm quoting <laughs> him. <laughs> uh.